Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by one half of the Nonsense Bazaar, Willow Truman. Willow, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and thank you for having the more beautiful half of our podcast on. (laughs) (laughs) Even though no one can see me, you'll just have to trust me. Yeah, um, (laughs) you know... (laughs) Yeah. 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 So humble uh, over here. Yeah, I know. Sequoia, I love you. Don't don't worry. Yeah, uh, yeah we love you, Sequoia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. No, it's it's an uh honestly it's great coming. to have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. We've been uh we've been working up to this uh and it had to happen. And uh you picked the best case for this episode, but uh I you picked know, the best case for me to be on the show yeah. with, I think. Yeah, you you followed your intuition and your intuition did not let you down. It Uh, it led me right. We got hypnosis. We got charlatanism. It's like it fits in. Yes, it it absolutely fits in. We um, yeah, it's and uh, shout out to uh, Jose Antonio Caravaca for uh, really uh, putting the kind of cherry on top of this thing and, and, and fully bringing in the, the complete picture of this story, the, the story. We almost only had half of it. Yes. We, we almost only had like the non like, you know, criticized version, the non, uh, really in-depth version that told the whole story, uh, and in the case that we're talking about today is uh, it's what Antonio Ribera, one of uh, Spain's OG uh, UFO investigators, called the Sori abduction. But um, uh, Soria, Soria, yes, <laughs> uh, throwing the accents on there. Yeah. I am, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and the thing is, it's like we don't. It, this is the abduction of a man named Julio F. Uh, we don't know his full identity. There is one picture of him with his back to the camera, but he does have his dog with him, which I appreciate. Of course, he always he's got to have his dog. He's obsessed with his dog. He is obsessed with this dog, yeah. takes this dog everywhere, uh, even on hunting trips. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's where we're going is on a is on a hunting trip. So, yeah, we are. Which yeah. I've never been on. So yeah. let's do it. Uh, I've been on one hunting trip and it did not go very well. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that is what it is. I, I don't, I'm, I'm cool bringing that type of failure to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, this case was investigated by a large number of people, including Jose Luis Jordan Pena, who um, we'll talk a lot more about uh, towards the end of this thing, uh, a parapsychologist named Ana Mozo, uh, who had a degree in hypnotism. So, you know, bring in a, a the, degree in hypnotism. She yes. went to hypnosis college. She did go to hypnosis college. Yeah. Uh, and we have Dr. Jesus Duran, who uh, he specialized in clinical hypnosis. So he also went to hypnosis school. Uh, And uh, Antonio Rivera, again, the OG 
Spanish UFO investigator who had been doing it for years at this point. Uh, and he's the only person to ever publish anything on this case in English. Uh, this has been kind of a, a Spanish language only case, but even now, unless you know where to look, you're not going to find a lot of information about this case on online. And thus we had to enlist a, you know, a Spanish ufologist to help us in this matter. <laughs> and thank God you could think about how many things, how many interesting cases are just behind a language barrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, many cool things we're missing out on. That's one of the things that I've started to try to expand out into because, uh, you know, we have like a, a really great database of like UFO journals and a bunch of different languages now. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, translating them through Google is a painstaking process. But, you know, you get if it hadn't been for that, I, I wouldn't have gotten the case of a uh, calf that had just they called it being raptured because it was uh. like these um these ranchers were kind of tending to uh you know a bunch of cattle and they literally saw this calf just like get lifted up brought out into this field lifted in the air and disappeared so you, you know, know like it belongs to god now what can yeah. you do yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly that's god's cow it is uh, yeah. taking it back, said, no, this this one's coming back. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's important. So what I love about the uh, the Flying Saucer Review articles is that it, it starts with probably one of the best snark like paragraphs that I've ever read. And uh, this is this is from Gordon Creighton, who was the editor of Flying Saucer Review at the time in the eighties and definitely into the nineties, he got very conspiratorially minded when it came to UFOs. Like this is a guy that was in the field, you know, like at there for so many important cases throughout like the sixties and seventies. And then you get to the eighties and we're, we're in the age of parent, like full blown paranoia. And yeah. um, it would be hard this, not to be paranoid in the eighties. Yeah. Like it, it was big. Like, you know, UFO paranoia, you know, goes back to at least 1956. But like this is full blown. Who do you trust? Like uh, mm -hmm. you, you trust no one in the 80s. There's nobody. You can't trust them, period. So uh, th this. Uh, yeah, this quote just kind of uh, it, it's so great, especially when you realize uh, uh, where this case goes towards the end of it. Uh, for many years past, we have been bombarded with a mass of utterly convincing evidence that UFOs are luminous bellied ducks, luminous owls, spruce budworm moths, semi-luminescent <laughs> air effects, beer coolers, hospital theater lights, chicken incubators, tobacco curers, mock suns, piezoelectricity, ball lightning, lighthouses, and the planet Venus. So it comes as a great relief to learn that Dr. Alvin H. Lawson of California has now solved the UFO problem, or at least at any rate, the close encounter problem, and has, been, and has proven that all of the UFO abduction narratives are nothing more than memories of perinatal events. It's <laughs> so snarky. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, 
the distressing experiences of the birth trauma and after experiences through which every one of us has passed when embarking upon the extra uterine stage of our life on earth. So yeah, this is, this is the snark that, that Gordon Creighton brings to the table as he was, I believe the translator of this article, because he, it's one of the things that uh, he was known for as translating articles because uh, there were a number of people on staff for flying sauce review that did that. But um, yeah, it's just, it's going to get, you know, snarkier uh, from there. And, uh, but you kind of, you kind of get the point though, you know, at at this particular point, you know, UFO, when this case takes place, UFO, abductions aren't quite the pop culture sensation that they would become uh you know it's like uh the x-files sightings and like unsolved mysteries would kind of mm-hmm. make them out to be a decade later and like even this is even before you know communions published which kind of like heavily influences abduction lore oh, and yeah. stuff oh yeah it's huge it's it's absolutely huge i mean uh, uh fun fact the the rights to communion finally went back to whitley streber so if you want to buy a new edition of communion with the old image on the cover you can do that now oh excellent see yeah. like if you're gonna buy the book you need to have the the mm-hmm. classic the classic face you do need the classic face. Also, the face that Whitley Strieber said wasn't quite accurate. And uh, in the next book, Transformation, uh, makes it 10 times more terrifying by removing the slight emotion that the alien had. Oh, no emotion does make it creepier. It does. It really does. Um, uh, it's um, It's interesting, you know to note a few things, but uh, Ribera kind of hypothesizes at this point, whether or not these things are connected to cattle mutilations, these abduction cases, but he also asks us to question that thing that all of us eventually come to fear. What if the abducted people never come back? Uh, Well, uh, do we fear that? I've never even uh, thought about that. I did for a period of time for a mm-hmm. good chunk of time. At, at this point, I'm like, take me the fuck away. Like, yeah, <laughs> come, yeah. come and take me. I don't care. Uh, you know, I'll take I my was, chances. I was that teenager that had fears of taking showers at night, thinking that if I pull the curtain back, uh, the aliens will be there. So, you know. I think yeah. I've grown out of it at this point. Maybe. I don't know. I'm kind See, of. You You and I went two different ways. You went like the scared of aliens route. And mm-hmm. I went through my my phase of like love and light, starseed. Oh, my God. I'm an alien. I'm out of it mm-hmm. now. <laughs> but like I was all about, you know, like the aliens are our saviors. They're going to uplift mm-hmm. humanity, you know? Yeah. And they. uh so far, kind of not really coming through on that. Uh, yeah, we're... there's a lot more stories of aliens being like creepy and bad. Yeah, yeah. Like a story I ran across where these aliens were just kind of watching this woman sunbathing on her roof and they abduct her. It's it's not it's not good. Ooh, she's hot. 
Oh yeah. Just like, yeah. and the thing is, it's like uh, the report says that, that the, the one being that's standing at the window beckons to his other buddy to come over. <laughs> hey, you got to come check this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, let's totally abduct her. Totally abduct yeah. her. Um, and then but, she was uh, never returned. No, no. Um, she did. She did come back, but she did have another abduction event uh, where she was. They couldn't abduct- get enough. No. Uh, and she was abducted a second time with like a group of people because there was like a bunch of cars parked to the side. So uh, apparently dudes with giant foreheads just uh, love to do it because uh, that's what they yeah. look like. But yeah, yeah. You know, um, in the case of the Soria abductors we're talking about beings that look very human with kind of exaggerated features a bit um, this motherfucker <laughs> looks like megamind he, he looks like handsome squidward yes that's yeah. what he looks like like he's he got the, ch- the chin and the, the the very big head chiseled yeah. just the chiseled features you know yeah, got those big ass eyes that are just like staring through you. He's, he's literally mega mind. Yes. Like <laughs> Yeah. Uh also like a chin that could put out eyes. Uh, really good. Um, his chin goes out further than his nose does. Yes, it really does. It, yeah. it really does. Uh Robert goes on to describe this as one of the best and most studied cases ever reported in the world like, and what i find interesting about that is for one of the best studied cases you can't find shit about it no so, exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, it, yeah it's just it's just not it's not good it's not good but uh the story uh of julio f would probably be a short one if it were not for jose luis jordan pena uh julio being, was being a, the, the person he was yeah yeah being the absolute you know mastermind behind a lot of things mm-hmm. uh julio he was like 30 years old in february of 1978 when this uh case takes place he was married and he had two uh, he had a two and a half year old son and um he worked for his family but he, he's kind of interesting because like he's he trained to be a veterinarian he enjoyed he did. Yeah, he enjoyed like electronics, photography, like to hunt and kind of explore. He had a black belt in Taekwondo, just kind very of well-rounded gentleman. Very you know? well-rounded. Yes, and absolutely. he can express your dog's anal glands. So just he like can. very, very talented in all ways. And he, he will. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's important to to have someone in, in your life that could do that, whether it's, uh, you know, it's your true. groomer, your veterinarian, whoever. Because uh, you don't want to do it. No, 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 you definitely want someone else to do it. And if you, if somebody's got the training, yeah, just put them in better hands. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, Ribera describes him as, quote, folk of a certain purity, which is kind of creepy. Uh, yeah, I thought that was weird too. Yeah. I'm like, I underline that. I'm like, what? Of a certain purity. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is like, with some of these cases, when you read them, it's like, I understand what they're going for, but the way in which they word things and, and stuff, and like the way in which they describe, oh, this person's uneducated, therefore they wouldn't know 
what a UFO is or right. They're or, just a simple man. Yeah. You know? Also, yeah. also Rivera describes his eyes as limpid, deep, <laughs> yes. sincere and unforgettable. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And he won't take a picture of his face. How no. like how cruel. I know. Uh, I'll never see those you, limpid eyes. I'll never see those limpid eyes, but what did that enjoy the dog in that photo. Really did. Uh, yeah. It kind of uh, saved the photo a little bit. His but, dog's um, name, by the way, purebred English pointer named, is it pronounced Moose? That's what I thought it was. I figured. Yeah. I looked it up. It's a type of card game. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, so, I never yeah. heard that name. No, I hadn't. I hadn't either. Um, but uh, yeah, the Julio F, he's uh, he's about 1.75 meters tall, about five foot seven. He, he's, he's about my height. and Yeah, mine too. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, it's the, it's the preferred height. Uh, you know, it, it's Optimal just, it's height. just a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good number. Uh, he was described as strong, swarthy, uh, and was starting to go bald. So that's the you only know. thing I think he has going against him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise he's just a all around paragon of purity. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just uh, kind of the perfect human being, I guess. Uh, just I, I, you know, that's that's how he paints him. So on February 5th, he decided to go hunting because the season had just started uh, and the area he was uh, headed to near the town of Casa Vieja. It was abundant with hares, so he wasn't hunting for, you know, like deer or anything like that. He was going rabbit hunting yep uh and at what's up doc yeah exactly um at 3 30 that morning he loaded up his car along with his dog the english pointer named moose and uh they set out so almost immediately and with no logic at all he takes a different route than he expected instead of driving uh yeah he he decides to take a he, he just kind of just turns abruptly uh and heads right towards the province of soria so which i thought was so interesting mm-hmm. like that idea of it says an irresistible impulse it reminds me of um when robert short mm-hmm. just got in his car to go visit george van tassel but he didn't yep. know where he was and he said that like alien voices guided him on the way there he didn't know where he was, he was going Yep. It reminds me of that. Like you get in your car and you're just overcome by some. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've covered one case, uh, an abduction case from 75 in which the two witnesses heard an explosion outside uh, their trailer. They go outside and then they're like, hey, let's just go for a drive. And uh, they end up uh, involved in an abduction case. So, you know, it, just mysterious means. Yeah. Be careful when you get in your car. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, you may be making uh, strange turns that you don't realize. Other times the aliens may be driving the vehicle for you. Just right. be careful uh, because you never know. Mm. So uh, he was driving awfully fast uh, throughout this kind of entire experience, it seems. And he was talking to his dog. And at one point, he he put on a tape of an Argentinian singer named Jorge Cafrun. And uh, uh, 
how would you describe that music? Because I know you listened to some of it. It was calming. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like that. I could see like driving super fast in the countryside to it because yeah. it has like a sense of freedom, you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, it was good music. Yeah. Um, Spencer, uh, make sure you put some uh, music in here. Uh, it, it just, you know, set the tone. Set yeah, the tone. It's, it's good uh, shit. It is good shit. Um, so Julio, he put some kilometers behind him, and uh, though he seemed confused about the towns he was passing through, he wasn't concerned at all. Uh, and it was... To him, it was kind of too early to go hunting, so he decided to stop off to enjoy some coffee at a quote wayside bar. But I was, well, wait a second, coffee yeah. and an anus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> or a, a niece. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what uh, it says, though. <laughs> yeah, that is that is what it says. Uh, and uh, they stopped. He stopped at this uh, place called Hostel One Thirteen. Yes, it was near at the four. 4.45 a.m. 4.45 a.m. It was near the town of Algora. And things seemed to get strange like the moment that he walked inside. Uh, behind the bar was a tall man, approximately 1.9 meters or six foot two, uh, who's wearing... It, I, it, the, the way that uh, they describe these gloves, they remind me of like the yellow dish gloves. That, uh, That's what I was thinking, that kind of go yeah. up the arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these yellow gloves, uh, you know, which, according to Antonio Rivera, was not up to the health code at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, but, uh, you know, according to Julio's testimony, this figure was fair skinned, wearing a quote unquote blonde wig. And did not seem to be acting in quite the usual easy fashion displayed by professionals. Um, Willow, how do you feel about, uh, and I quote, pine smell? Pine smell. It's good. I like pine smell. It's nice and clean. It reminds me kind of of the terpenes and weed. You know, some weed <laughs> smells pretty piney. It's yep. good stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that I wouldn't expect in a cafe. No, no. But uh, we do have pine smell. Strong uh, pine smell. Strong pine smell. That's that literally fucking, how it's that, written. That alien is smoking the best weed. Yes. Like in the galaxy out back, you know, before he yes. throws on his wig. I like to think he has a collection of wigs, you know, yeah. depending on his mood. Absolutely. He's got like a Dolly Parton one. He's got an Elvira mm -hmm. one to show the two sides of his personality. I, I feel like, uh, you know, if the men in black could kind of mix it up a little bit, be a little more relatable, get their wig game on. Truly. I, th I think it would make for a, you know, more lively, better experience. But, you know, when you're trying to silence your witnesses, I guess you don't want to be too fun. But uh, yeah, it can't be too fashionable. No, you got to you got to dress from a bygone era that doesn't yeah. even really seem bygone because there are people that still dress like that. But maybe people wear suits. The, yeah, they still wear suits. Sure. They don't yeah. have off the assembly line Cadillacs, but, uh, you know, still dressed the same way pretty much. But mm -hmm. 
so it was odd to him because there was no one that came in the entire time that he was there. And he just kept detecting this odor of pine the whole time, uh, which he assumed was from the cleaning products. You know, it got some pine salt up in here. Makes uh, sense. Yeah, totally about it. And he recalls little of the conversation with the bar attendant other than their keen interest in hunting and his dog, Moose. So this person kept insisting that he stop at a particular place to hunt over and over again. Like he just kept going over and over like, Hey, stop here. Hunting's just absolutely fabulous. So yeah, all Julio remembers after this, after leaving the bar at, at okay. 5 45. Wait, PM, wait, wait. I just well, thought about something. Yeah. Did he bring his dog into the cafe with him? It's yes. I believe okay. he did. All right. Cause otherwise I'm like, how the fuck did the waiter know about the dog? But he, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he gets in his car, he's speeding fast to reach, uh, Medina Chelly. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced, but, uh, yeah, with the, he's got Jorge Cafrun still blasted through those speakers. He eventually, you know, pulled the cassette out and listened to the engine for a while before putting it back in. Uh, and he kind of just knew where his destination was the entire time. And that's where Julio's story would end until investigators got their hands on this case. And Yeah, and, so up yeah. up until now... This is what Julio remembers without any hypnosis, just of his own experience, as far as we know. Yep. And then all the events that happened after were uncovered by hypnotic regression. Yep. Yeah. So this is this marks the end of his conscious memory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Julio's brother, Manuel. Uh, He was a UFO enthusiast. Uh, I'm assuming Julio told a story to to him. Uh, He was at a a conference and had seen Jose Luis Jordan Pena at a conference giving this presentation. And he just kind of struck up a conversation with him afterwards. Oh, one thing that I forgot to mention. uh, Antonio Rivera talked to the actual owner of Hostel 113, and he said that they did not open before 8 a.m. So, yeah, essentially what that? we, ha- yeah, essentially what we have here is an alien opening up a a, a, a quote wayside bar, uh, right? You know, because it's getting all the coffee going. In. Yeah, getting that coffee going. Uh, not up to health codes, but you know got an important job to do, got to steer this man in the right direction. So Manuel, he's, he's talking to Jordan Pena and uh, you know, he told him of his brother's story. So soon Julio would be at the center of this, like just massive investigation that would be uncovered over the course of 12 hypnosis sessions. That seems excessive. Like, yeah. This a lot. So do you do you think that maybe Julio just like was super tired and took a nap and like this whole diner experience was a a dream or what? Yeah, that's um, that's a tough thing, because it's like. 
how sleepy were you when you left that morning, man? Were you yeah, uh, I don't know. a little drowsy? Had to pull over? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just, I kind of feel bad for mm-hmm. Julio a little bit. Um, right. That, you know, just, just his entire perception has now been distorted. Yes. Yep. Uh, so his uh, unconscious memory continues with the car running off the road down a steep incline through some bushes for about two kilometers or about 1.2 miles. And then his car just kind of comes to an abrupt stop and it shot backwards uh, onto the main road briefly. And then the electrical system failed and the car died. So it's it's, weird car stuff. Yeah. A lot of weird car movements and uh, yeah, it's, it's very weird, very weird. Um, Julio later recounted a powerful light above his car at times and that mm-hmm. this light might have been kind of guiding him a, a bit and he uh, he popped the hood to see what was wrong with the car and in doing so Moose just kind of started to growl out of nowhere and soon after a pair of silhouettes started to move in his direction Uh-oh. yeah it's uh, I don't like that I don't like that. At no, all. creepy. Also of note, uh, his watch stopped at 6.40 a.m. Yes. Yep. Stopped completely at 6.40 a.m. Whoever these figures were, they kind of seemed to glow, though the glow kind of faded as they drew closer. And they were tall. They were nearly two meters tall or about six and a half feet. And they were covered head to toe in a pastel green <laughs> suit and their heads were completely covered by a yellow hood. And they had pale complexions, hands with very long um, fingers. Yeah. The proportions yeah. are otherwise like a tall human, except yeah. the arms are longer yep. and the, the fingers are really long and bony and the hands are huge. Yes. Which is weird. A weird but notable, very notable difference from humans. I, I yes, I believe uh, Ribera said that they probably would have. Uh, they, he had they had the fingers of like pianists, like mm-hmm. really accomplished pianists, and um, uh, they had these like really elongated chins. And their most arresting feature was these large, round, blue eyes. And like when you look at the sketches of these beings. The, it, like, I don't want to look at them for a long period of time because they just uh-huh. they stare holes into you. I don't like right it. into your soul. Yeah. Like they yeah. know everything about you. Uh, right. And like, or at least I, I feel like they do. And it's just yeah. some random dude sketch. And I'm like, no. Nope. Nope. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not. Here I literally next to the description of them in my notes, I just have written one word. Megamind. <laughs> that's it <laughs> give them give them some yeah give them some blue skin and yeah. uh yeah we've got that's a the only thing situation. missing yeah absolutely um at no time did julio ever feel fear he, or so he claimed he kind of understood immediately that they came from another world and he ordered his dog not to bite them <laughs> good is, yeah G- great great uh the feeling he had was that he was meeting someone he knew well, but hadn't seen for a long time, which is 
you know, kind hmm. of a signature thing sometimes that you read. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, the being said, calm yourself. There's nothing to worry about. All we want is that you will come with us, please. So their gaze, pretty intense, just kind of seemed to calm Julio down. And he ultimately followed the beings into the brush to a huge silver disc floating above the ground. Yeah. It was uh, about, uh, and this thing is huge. It's about 70 meters or about almost 230 feet in diameter. And it kind of has, yeah, it's, it's pretty big. It kind of looks like um, the way that they draw it. Um, it looks like a large, maybe serving dish. And on top of it, it has kind of one of those like old school bells that you would ring at like the desk mm-hmm. of a hotel or something like that. Um, also, these beings, um, <clears throat> they they speak without moving their lips, which is very yeah. typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do believe they describe them as being thin lipped, which is like uh, I think like every human aliens kind of description is like. They, they've kind of got a lips, but not really like, uh, yeah, just kind of a little slit there, which is like, you know, indicative generally of, you know, telepathic communication. Mm-hmm. Also, these beings are nice enough to reassure him, like, don't worry, we're going to return you at the end yeah. of this. And, yeah. you know, that is nice. That's nice to yeah. know. I, it's always good when, um, your abductors in this case, your alien abductors <laughs> yeah. can be reassuring. Yeah. Bring you back. Don't worry. Don't, Don't worry. worry. Yeah. It's all good. Um, so taken to this absolutely ginormous UFO, that's just kind of hovering in the forest and Julio noticed that it seemed to be made of one single piece of metal, which, you know, yeah without any seams no no rivets no rivets uh also pretty uh, typical yeah yeah it's uh usually like it's a it's a giant ufo that was you know kind of just formed out of one piece of metal so uh standing underneath the object uh he could smell something smelled pretty Uh familiar uh it's pine smell it's pine. It's always pine. Yeah, always. Like, Every single time. Think about how scared you would be right now if you started smelling it like yeah. right now. Uh, I'm yeah. Um, All I'm I smell good. is my armpits. So we're safe. OK, you're safe. I'm safe uh, at least. Yeah, I don't smell pine, but uh, I, you know, my my subconscious is recording this and it'll like turn it around on me at some mm-hmm. point at some yeah. point yeah. <laughs> one of one of these nights you'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like what is that smell but yeah exactly it's like oh god is this a stroke or am i yeah oh god it's an abduction yeah <sighs> um so his he had his gun and his knife with him, and they were kind of just drawn upward away from him and uh this metallic cylinder comes down uh from the bottom of the object and uh you know brought him up into the central cabin of this ufo um julio f is transferred to a central cabin where he observes these kind of different panels with you know, the appearance of quote unquote computers, uh, mm-hmm. 
these transparent screens. There's V-shaped chairs. There's even a quote-unquote stretcher. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in other words, we're talking about, you know, an examination table. Um, but uh, the ceiling was kind of vaulted and, and the floors looked like smooth glass. Like this is this is a nicely kept UFO. Like it's uh, fancy it just, They're it, Well, you know, they took such good care of the cafe. Yeah, they take care. Good care of their ship too. keep yeah, it nice absolutely. and clean. Absolutely. You know that when those aliens stopped into that hostel, that those pans came out looking cleaner than when he walked in. Uh, oh, yeah. That's, I, that's just the way it is. I like to think that they come to Earth just to, like, go to the store and buy more pine saw. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Stock up. Uh, you know, there are... Um, uh, there was one account that we did on an episode where um, an alien, which was really poorly disguised as a uh, human, was going into a convenience store to buy cigarettes. So, um, <laughs> you know, I wonder what brand he got. I was curious. Uh, I can't remember you know? if they. Because if he's they... like smoking something like Winston Lights, it's like, yeah, you're sus. Like, what yeah. who smokes that? <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're, you're smoking 100s? No, no. I'm sorry. I don't trust you at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, totally an alien. But um, yeah, throughout uh, the interior of the saucer, like, there's just kind of an intense white light that didn't seem to come from any source. It just emanated from everywhere, which again is another feature of UFO abduction scenarios. It's like it's there's light there. I just, I just don't know where it seems to be coming from. It's kind of like uh, when you see kind of like flashback sequences and TV shows, like everything seems to be lit up, but like yep. you see where the source of the light's coming from. So that's what we're dealing in. Uh, but the odd thing was that there's no shadows in this craft anywhere, uh, which is, you know, kind of creeping See, me out. That is very interesting because as I, I'm working on an episode about uh, Faye encounters right now, and something that um, keeps coming up is this idea that when you see them, they don't cast a shadow. Mm -hmm. And that just reminds me of, of this. Yeah. Yep similar situation uh, and it's creepy as shit um, uh, or i it also says in one of the documents that um that these beings like didn't make very many gestures except for just holding their hands at their sides yeah and i was like right. oh they, they have lazy animators like <laughs> there's no shadows they're just hold their their bodies are in the same position all the time like these are <laughs> the kids at a middle school dance that are too at, are nervous to ask a girl to yeah. dance. So they're standing against the wall with their arms to their sides. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, a few other figures in the, in this, uh, in this craft, not just uh, males, but uh, not uh, female aliens too um although like uh the the descriptions on them are kind of just like vague um once you're inside but uh um there were these two kind of strange arm shares they rested on these conical supports that uh narrowed when they reached the ground 
and you know fitting into kind of a guide on which they moved a little bit and stuff um um it's weird because it it kind of shifts a little bit. The lighting seems to come from everywhere, but then kind of just looks up and he's like, "Yeah, it seems to be coming from the ceiling." And inside, yeah. you know, he keeps smelling this. Uh, he he gets the idea that this pine scent may be similar to like ozone or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, his dog is with him the entire time, and uh, the um, you know. They seem to be kind of interested in the dog a little bit too, but yeah, a little bit too interested in the dog. Yeah. Like, yeah. Julio's like, hey, I know all about the anal glands. Don't you touch them. I got this covered. Don't you, exactly. don't you probe my dog? Look, yeah. I said that I wouldn't, I, I said not to bite you, but like you're getting, <laughs> you know, a little too, like, did they abduct him for the dog? It like, seems that's... a lot like it. It honestly, reading this is that's exactly what it seems like. Yeah. 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 Um the most curious thing uh is that the room was surrounded by rectangular windows through which the outside could be seen as if it were completely daytime even though the sun wasn't really fully up at that point. So uh M- Moose started to sniff one of the crew members and he and he showed and that one of those beings kind of showed a little fear when, when, he, when he started to do that. But yeah, uh, what the, is this creature the, doing? Yes. The humanoids did ask permission to examine the dog, though. Um, and, and Julio did give it, right? Yes. Yes, he did. And um, they placed the, the dog on the quote unquote stretcher, which kind of had this strange screen where um the dog was kind of paralyzed once it was just kind of placed on the table. It didn't move. They took blood from one leg with the help of a like syringe. And after mm-hmm. this being began to manipulate the controls of the quote unquote computer with uh, kind of like a, it was like graceful in the way that he described it. But um, yeah, uh, like that's, that's the one thing that keeps coming up over and over again is like these beings moved with like a, kind of grace and right, uh, they're ethereal beings you know yes they glide because, they don't walk no they glide uh and they are athletic animation built. yeah yeah absolutely um but it, he does like make them seem like they are like incredibly athletic yeah. if not also, also frail yeah if i'm not mistaken they used moose's biomatter to fuel their computers and make them work mm-hmm. better. Yes. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yep. Yeah. We're, we're, it's a slippery slope when we start um using biological matter to to fuel technology like mm-hmm. as as a energy source. There's there's a problem there. It's going to get some bloodthirsty me, robots. Yeah, it's giving me soylent green vibes and I yeah, don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. No. Uh, but yeah, in total, there was three men, two women, and uh, Julio wanted to know where these strange people came from. So he asked them where they came from, to which they responded with mental signs, which he kind of uh, relates to being like a slideshow in a way. Um, that and, makes sense, because you don't really yeah. an, an easy way to communicate a uh, a broad idea to someone is to just like show them 
images of it, right? Because mm-hmm. to explain something in words can take a lot of words. Yeah. So I I like the idea of just like projecting images. Yeah. And yeah. I wish I could do that. Communicating would be so much easier. Yes, absolutely. And like uh, the some of the images, like uh, the like the first few are kind of connected together is the way that he describes it. But one of the uh, things that he gets in his mind is a strange symbol. And the best way to describe it is um, if you take two parentheses, but uh, instead of having them the typical way, you turn them outside and in between them, it's linked by basically kind of a plus sign that's, uh, you know, equal to the length of each parenthesis. Mm-hmm. And what pl- the- it looks like the Uranus symbol. Yeah, it, it yeah. does look a lot Except like a- without the circle. Yes, absolutely. at the bottom. Um, and, and this is what is known as the Umo symbol. Um, Umo. And, and, and we'll get, we will get into the entirety. Well, not the entirety, but we'll briefly touch on Umo because it's, uh, cause we gotta, it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a all connected in here. Uh, even thing. the, the Ver- Veronish case, which I don't understand how it ties into, uh, Umo, uh, other than there's a sketch that one of the kids, that uh, saw uh, the uh, Verona incident on the UFO. Um, they drew the Umo symbol, which is uh, it's weird. It's very hmm. weird. I bet, you know, whoever was perpetrating the the whole Umo thing um, just probably put that symbol everywhere for just minds mm-hmm. to to take in that yeah. way, like like seeding the mind virus. Yeah, it's kind of like that uh, that old um, have you seen this man in your dreams kind of thing. Right. And then yeah. you you think, oh, maybe I have. Like, it looks yeah. kind of familiar. Yeah. 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 So. Suddenly in one of the screams after he hears this kind of repeated beeping sound, there's another being that appears kind of like older, 55 to 60 years old and uh that being seemed to be kind of like the crew chief and they were conversing in a language with the crew that was like similar to quote German or Chinese or like a combination of the two. Uh, And he gave them instructions that Julio did not understand. Um, And like the telepathy that he was experiencing was kind of uh, interrupted when uh, this message started to come through so you know we've got we've got crews here we've got the higher ups there um uh, they're just like humans yeah and after these messages were relayed back and forth the screen just kind of returned back to normal and so we, you know they were looking on the outside and such mm-hmm. and in one of the multiple hypnosis sessions to which you know Julio was subjected the witness referred to a strange episode in which he is paralyzed and led levitating to a compartment described as a transparent sphere where he is stripped naked and subjected to an examination. Jesus Uh, Christ. Yeah. Um, You know, so like Julio, his experiences are limited to this one night, right? 
Yeah. And yet he keeps being regressed and hypnotized over and over again. Or at a certain point when I was reading this, I'm like, how much stuff can happen in one abduction? You know, you guys are like running this guy doing all sorts of stuff. Like if I feel like if they kept hypnotizing him, he would keep coming up with more stuff that happened that night. Yeah. And it's just like how. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, They examined him with this kind of like uh, it was like a metallic ball or something like that. And, you know, it it feels good. Yeah, it had these cables and everything attached and um, they are inserted through all of the orifices of his body. Yeah, no, no. not good. No, Why can't the aliens not. ever just like give a nice massage? You know, right? They gotta right. like they want to massage your insides too, and I'm like, no, no, no. I have boundaries. Uh, right. Like uh, when we're talking, you know, abduction cases. Like I don't think Antonio. Like it's tough to to decide whether Antonio Villasboas enjoyed his experience or not. Because like, yeah. Um, when you read his uh, testimony, he was enjoying it for a while until he got shot down, and then um, he wasn't enjoying it so much. And yeah, like it's it's very you know kind of um, yeah, it gets it gets kind of weird. But like these experiences, just not enjoyable, not enjoyable for Julio F. And uh, you know, after this, uh, he reports that the the ship took off, and they kind of made a short trip off earth uh that kind of made him you know weightless he was floating around a little bit and that's a fun part yeah yeah it's worth having my orifices um manhandled alien handled yeah um and uh one detail that kind of caught antonio ribera is that uh he said that the stars didn't blink when you know they were out into space so he thought that this was some kind of like confirmation or something i don't know but like yeah i get it they don't they don't twinkle uh you know in in space i get it but um you know, uh, upon returning to Earth after this small voyage, Julio decided uh, that the most normal thing to do was to smoke a cigarette. And I totally get it. I it totally is. Get it. Yeah. it is. It's it's like he just got done having the weirdest sex of his life. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. got to have a smoke after. It, it, it's the embodiment of the closing theme to Unsolved Mysteries because it definitely sounds like it literally sounds like somebody murdered someone and they just banged it out and they're having a cigarette. Like that's the best yeah. way to describe the closing <laughs> theme to Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, he um, he asked the <laughs> the beings if they wanted to, uh, a cigarette. So like they kind of examine it uh, in the end. Uh, and they invite him. He invites them to smoke, but they they didn't. They just kind of. Um, Sorry, we do not have mouths. Yeah, this ain't gonna <laughs> work for us. We don't breathe like you do. Uh, yeah. But in, in the last part of the meeting, the humanoids begin to question uh, him, and it, it seemed to be kind of absurd to him. They seem to ignore like a lot of issues and stuff. But you know, it's essentially. Uh, they're very around. judgmental about the hunting yeah, they like are. extremely in fact when he like steps into the craft it's like a glizzy lifting room except yes. like a fizzy lifting room <laughs> yeah. it lifts up his gun and and his knife up to the yeah. ceiling which is like magnetic like oh no no more weapons for you yeah 
Yeah, so like, you know, he's kind of being run through the rigor for, you know, how shitty Earth can be. So, uh, you know, taking one for the team here. Hey, not all Earthlings. Yeah, so like, you know, Julio, he kind of sours on the whole thing. And, uh, you know, they sensed his discomfort and they kind of just like let him out. They're like, yeah, we'll drop you off. We're we're done. (laughs) All right. We said we'd return you and we will. Yeah, and they did. And he spent about three hours on that ship. And uh, all he got was a stupid T-shirt or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did he get out of this, really? Um, uh, 12 hypnosis sessions. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. And and he uh, he convinced that one dude, Dr. Jesus, what was his last name? I forgot his last name, but he didn't believe in UFOs before he talked to Julio. And somehow right. Julio, who did we don't get enough information to glean whether or not Julio believed in UFOs and all of this before this. But we know I his have... brother did. Yes. Yes. And I wonder, though, did was Julio into any of this or not? Right. Like, we don't know. The The, the tough thing that, that we're going to get at here is that, one, we don't know if there was even anything remotely weird that happened to Julio. Maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe Julio was kind of like the patsy and all of this. And so like, what I think he, is weird. Yeah. Even if none of this physically happened, he was hypnotized and experienced these things like in his mind space. Right. And his subconscious came up with these experiences. Right. To the point that they might as well be real to him if he believes that they really happened. And that's right. interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. Um, so the story is going to get much more controversial after this, though, because mm-hmm. uh, it's through Jose Luis Jordan Pena that uh, everything gets connected to the Umo affair. Um, so to briefly recap the Umo affair, this this goes back to 1966 and it goes back to a post office official named Fernando Sesma Manzano. And Sesma had been claiming since 1954 that he had been maintaining contacts with beings from other worlds and maintained a group of you know, dedicated to this called the Society of Friends of the Space Visitors. And they would meet in this basement cafe called, I think, the Smiling Whale. Um, Yes, that is what it was called. Yes. Because I can't forget that. It's so cute. Yes, it is. It is absolutely adorable. So, you know, it's a nice hobby, right? You know, you get together with your friends every week and you're asking them, you know, about their kids, you know, their plans and stuff and, yeah. and, and UFOs, like, you know, you got it's an excuse to get interest. together. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, everybody should do this. But um, in 1966, Sesma received a phone call from an alleged extraterrestrial and afterwards started to receive typewritten letters uh, from beings that claimed to be from the planet Umo in the vicinity. See? Yeah. This is exactly when I would become suspicious. I'd be like, why yeah. the fuck are you calling me on the phone? Right. Like, you're, you show up to me. Like, come exactly. here. Let's talk. Put you know, why are you calling in. me? Yeah, really? exactly. 
Like really? show that you care, put the effort in, get your ass down here in your cool ass UFOs. And... It's like, I know you can do it. Like, yes. I know you have the capability of coming here and yet I'm not even worth it. What is this? <laughs> what are we? <laughs> it's, it's absolute bullshit. It's absolute yeah. bullshit. Uh, but uh, yeah, Umo is in the vicinity of the star Wolf 424. And, you know, these letters addressed areas of science, philosophy, religion on Earth and compared them to how uh, the quote unquote Umites live. So not only is he getting phone calls, he's getting letters in the mail. Uh, and not only that, uh, letters would start to kind of um, go out uh, two other UFO investigators, Antonio Rivera received letters. Uh, Jacques Vallée received letters. Um, I believe there were some researchers in the United States that got them too. So, yeah. And if you don't get an UMO letter, then like you're clearly not really in the UFO scene. No, you know, not. you got to be the cream of the crop to get one of these. Exactly. Exactly. Like uh, this is the. Um, these are the MJ-12 documents before MJ-12 was... Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So the Umites claimed to have landed on Earth, on uh, and they gave a specific date, March 28th, 1950, in the French Alps. Uh, it's kind of a beautiful place to land uh, if you, you know... Yeah. If you ask me. But uh, they referred to themselves using letters and numbers such as DEI 97 or NA 456. Just a bunch of license plates. Yeah, pretty much. You know? That's that's what I got from it. Yeah. But, um, the these beings were said to have left proof of their existence, so they don't really go into that all that much. Um uh but there are a couple of incidents that uh kind of are our key incidents in the the umo affair um first you know honestly the umo affair seems like a good nonsense bizarre topic uh it really it really is totally i think you you should cover it i think so get get deep into it because it's worth it you gotta get your hands on because um Ribera published two books on you got to really get into the Amite kind of like uh, teachings and stuff. And right. Like, uh, and Ribera published a couple of books through Wendell Stevens. And I think Timothy Green Beckley republished them into like a one big book because I do have it downstairs. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is that um, you don't really see Umo mentioned places these days right like it's not on the front page of biblioteca pleiades where all the other conspiracy stuff is like there's not an umo page there no um, no but but you know, it the, is mentioned a lot on 4chan yes uh of course the uh the paragon of truth 4chan they know about umo there mm-hmm. and and they they think they think they know what they don't know exactly, exactly. <laughs> what well, we're about to tell them um nothing but the truth coming from 4chan all the yes, time yes always always so uh february 6 1966 in the town of aluche uh near madrid spain the main witness in this case is jose luis jordan peña uh and well what do you uh, know yeah uh and vicente ortuño uh they witnessed this 
craft land and there were landing traces found as well as sheets of polyvinyl fluoride which is known as tedlar um which the only company manufacturing these sheets at the time was dupont in uh the united states so Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting unique aspect to this case the second event took place over a year later, June 1st, 1967. A strange object appeared in the skies over Spain, and on the belly of the ship was the insignia, the two parentheses joined by a cross. And yeah, the, the Uranus-type symbol. Yes. And an unidentified man came forward with photographs of said object, of what came to be known as the San Jose de Valdras photos. And soon after, documents started to be sent out to other investigators in Spain and everywhere, like I mentioned. And the world of the Elmites began to take shape. Uh, They were described as, quote unquote, Nordic type, tall beings with blonde hair, blue eyes uh, and, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, sensitive hands. Yeah. <laughs> that is the one feature. Like we're you know? talking about the, you know, some Aryan motherfuckers here. Um, but uh the sense of hands, hands could just hold you and yes. and caress you. You you yes. wish they would. Yeah, like yeah. these are the hands that um, you know, that song I just died in your arms tonight. These are the hands that are holding you. Yeah. When you are dying. Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh I, I really don't know if this, this sensitive hand things is a Nordic feature, but uh, <laughs> it is in this case. But uh, Antonio Ribeiro was a heavy believer in this subject, and he dedicated a few books to the Amites. But over time, researchers started to grow wary of Jordan Pena, especially as uh, he became the primary figure promoting Umite culture. Uh, he just like, I saw UFO land and I'm the spokesperson for all of this. See, there's also something that's a little sus to me about someone who like is a researcher and hypnotist, but Mm -hmm. has also had their own experiences. Usually it's like you're either an experiencer or you're a researcher. Exactly. You know what I mean? I feel like they, there's not often someone who does the hypnosis and regresses people. And they, they too have had their experience. And if, they have then they're going to implant it inside of everybody that they hypnotize yes um and for decades there were documents that kept being mailed out to researchers uh ribera continued to receive stuff well into the 80s but um by the 80s people kind of seemed soured on the subject of umo um they were kind of just getting the idea that is this has got to be a hoax like this can't be the truth so um yeah. in, in the 90s there were like new investigators that started to look into the umo documents and just question their veracity as well they should i mean there's so many there's so many letters out there it's like i'm sure if somebody combed through they could find some inconsistencies and weird stuff yeah yeah absolutely uh one uh, researcher, Manuel Carbayal, I think it's Carbayal, 
um which probably not right but uh you know it is what it is um, it is uh, in an interview uh that he did with uh jordan pena he declared um quote i am the author of umo it is an experiment that i did to study the credulity of man but it got out of hand it was my fault I'm sorry. My intention was to make believe that there was a group of aliens that had reached France from there. They spread to Spain, South America and so on. But it must be said that it did not refer to any sect. The believers were free to believe or not. What happens is that over time, some people became obsessed with Umo and have turned it into a cult. A thing that was not dangerous was made dangerous. Um, I love that quote. Mm-hmm. I, it, I truly do. It happens so much. Yeah. Like all the time. You know? Yeah. And and the thing is, is like this is an asshole it's like, who's trying to. It's like a to, toxic fandom, you know? Yeah. It it's, is. <laughs> this it's is like the a, Rick and Morty people like trying to get their Szechuan sauce. You know? Like this, he's fucking Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this feels like L. Ron Hubbard trying to like wash his hands of like you know Scientology years right. later like, or something. I don't like, know why they're acting like that. It was yeah. it became something I never intended it to become. Yeah, and you know this is yeah it, it's it, it just got convoluted and out of hand. But like my thing is, why do you need to perpetuate this for decades? Like I don't think you need that because long. The, as- because intelligence agencies were behind it. Ooh. Oh yes, uh, and they were like they yes. literally were, which is really so, like the the bow on top and foreign intelligence agencies too. Meaning it could be our own, the United States. Yeah, um, yeah. Jordan uh, Pena claimed that in order to maintain the hoax, he received financial aid from intelligence agencies. Uh, though he offered little to back up that claim, I uh, you know. Could be true, could be not true. It could be, but but I mean, like, I don't think he put enough into this to say that he couldn't have done it himself because it's not like, I I mean, unless you're literally paying off like uh, Julio F or other, um, you know, like Antonio Rivera, like. So in an interview with uh, David Cuevas and Victor Ortega, Jordan Pena kind of backtracks a little and uh, kind of claimed that it it wasn't a hoax because it was a caution uh, because I cautioned many times throughout all the reports that people shouldn't believe me, that they shouldn't believe a single word of it. That's why I say it's not a hoax, like in uh, the Jules Verne novels. Yeah. Uh, he claimed that it was a scam for the elites that preyed upon lawyers, engineers, physicists, etc. Um, Except that's not no. no it's no. we got we got uh, people on on four chan basement dwellers that now believe <laughs> in this stuff. So it's not just the lawyers, you know. It's right. It's everybody. It is everybody. Like it's the most vulnerable people to this mm-hmm. that that don't need to believe in this that believe in it right because it, it's not like you have Jacques Vallée going around touting you know Umo like he kind of wrote about it in uh I think it's like 
uh, one of the one of his trilogy, one of his contact trilogy books it might be Revelations or it might be Confrontations, one of the two. But um, it, it's not like, you know, a lot of respected researchers are propping it up these days. And um, no, I did. I was reading this book, Extraordinary Encounters, the other day, which is mm-hmm. like an encyclopedia. Yeah. And there yeah. was a of like UFO stuff. There was an entry in there for Umo mm-hmm. and it ended saying we still don't know who who did this or who was the perpetrator of the hoax so i went and i checked the the year that it was published and it was published in 2000 so i was like huh yeah that's interesting yeah i don't think it was uh, until after i don't know exactly what year that he was exposed but right i'm not sure either so that being said it went on for a long time it went on for at least four decades um, and it's still so. going on because even though the guy who did it has come forward and said yeah i yeah. made it up people are still like no you didn't <laughs> right um so according to an article by scott corrales uh in the mid-1950s jose luis jordan pena was elaborating the theory that paranoia was much more widespread among the population than psychiatrists of the time were willing to admit Jordan Pena believed that no less than 79% of the population was afflicted and proceeded to demonstrate the validity of his theory by concocting the Umo affair, the story of tall, blonde, friendly aliens who had landed near the French town of Digne. Uh, the belief in superstitions such as astrology, flying saucers, spiritism, shamanism, etc., was considered as proof of this paranoia by the Spanish psychiatrist. Like, do you need to prove that people are paranoid, really? Right. Like, um, yeah. The perpetrator of this hoax of the century penned his own confession in an article entitled Umo, Otro Mito Que Hace Crash for La Alternativa Racional, the uh, Iberian. Yeah, beautiful uh, accent. Um, I suck completely <laughs> uh, but you know i'm rolling with it uh this yeah, is the iberian uh thank you um this is the iberian equivalent to the skeptical inquirer and a believer in the concept of system uh systemic uh, paranoia jordan pena put forth beliefs which in his own words were imbued with a certain logic he didn't limit himself to the theoretical framework but actually took steps by his own admission to create a false landing in the madrid suburb of aluche leaving bogus landing marks behind and adding to the confusion by availing himself of a few sheets of polyvinyl fluoride, which were unknown in Spain at the time, material that known as Tedlar. So what's interesting and, and what kind of lends credence to the fact that he may have had help is that the only people that were using Tedlar at the time was NASA. So, <laughs> oh, yes. So it's possible that he did get some outside help from some uh, either either somebody was sending out Ted Lar from the factory without, you know, either the government or DuPont knowing or he knew somebody in the United States government that supplied him with the sheets of Ted Lar. You know, I wish that Pena like if he was alive now. 
Mm-hmm. He could just like have a cool ARG going, a cool alternate reality game. Yeah. If that's what he wanted to do. It's like because that way um we could I don't know. I guess it wouldn't test his hypothesis of people falling into paranoia, but it, it would allow him to do all the shit that he was doing, except without it being morally reprehensible. Right. You know? Exactly. Um our guy Julio F. Jordan Pena is alleged to have conducted the first hypnotic regression on him. Uh, and he did it privately. Um, and through the sessions, he seemed to quote portions of Ribera's books uh, on Umo uh, and the Umites, like almost verbatim, like, um, you know, talking about the the weak hands and like the bony chin and, and stuff yeah. like this is literally stuff from, uh, you know, Antonio Rivera's books. And like we're talking about a guy who allegedly didn't have an interest in UFOs. So um, he's now being used in this situation, being um, he's being prompted. Is yeah, what it Julio seems. is. Yeah. 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 So. It was um, it was through hypnosis that Julio claimed to receive messages in the car over the radio while listening to the tape. And in some of the um, messages that he received, there were like umite words that he would be saying. Uh, one of them was gangosa. Um, oh, yeah. Isn't there like a small umo dictionary or something? There is. There yeah. are. Uh, there are Umo teachings and there are Umo philosophies and, and such that you can access. I have all a access. feeling yeah. that we are going to see an Umo revival soon. I think Maybe. so. I think it's coming. You think it's coming? I mm. do. I do. So be, be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. Don't trust it. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, the alien autopsy video. It's resurfaced a couple of years ago. People mm-hmm. talking about it, like, uh, you know, in the um, the uh, Wilson memo, talking about it being real, even though like the guy oh. folks that came forward and said yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> I also, um, the gateway experience, even though that is real. Yeah. I love how like, you know, every, about twice a year, it'll like, get recirculated again in popularity like oh check out this really cool cia document about you know yeah yeah. it's like these things just they some of them have have longer spans in between when they pop back up yeah but yeah Uh, yeah. they come back they do come back like mj12 i don't think has totally died with certain people but you know uh, because I, I I think there was like new documents coming out like in 2017, 2018 or something like that. Uh, but oh, speaking of, I have a website to send you after we're yeah. done with this. Speaking of Majestic Twelve, excellent. So. Uh, I am. Looking <laughs> I'm pulling it up so it. I don't forget. So okay. Jordan Pena claimed to be behind the phone calls to UFO researchers to uh, quote I used an electrical distortion device, which I made myself and which gave my voice or anyone who used it a metallic or nasal appearance, end quote. The irony of this is the fact that 
Umites had difficulty speaking, so much so that Ribera wrote about it in, in his book, The Mystery of Umo. Quote, a truly discriminatory characteristic, although it is not exclusive to a large number of the inhabitants of Umo, is the atrophy towards the age of 16 uh, terrestrial years of the epiglottis, as well as the thyroid muscle and lingual cords in a large part of our brothers. So basically the Umites didn't, they couldn't speak because they're, they just did not have the ability to anymore yeah. once they grew, wait, which is If weird. I understand that they could talk until they're 16. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> That's exactly the time where you shouldn't be allowed to talk. Right. Like you would think like, because you know, looking at us we we develop the ability to talk over a period of time you know like it, yeah. it's not it's it's a little gradual this is like reverse speaking but um interesting yeah during one of the interviews julio play you know uh stated quote they gave the impression of having laryngeal problems or something like that so again he's quoting pretty much from ribera uh, yeah himself. their throat chakras are blocked yeah, throat shock. Meditate a little bit. They got to work on that. They've got to yeah. spend a little, a little bit of the of you time doing that. So yeah, I, t- I totally understand. Open up that throat chakra. You gotta, you gotta. It might take a bit, but uh, it, it's doable. Um, so like everything that Julio was supplied was pretty much coming from Ribera's own you know, words that he had written about the Umites. Um, and when he asked about their origin, the Umite showed Julio certain images in his head again, and, you know, the familiar Umo symbol. So, like, it is... Jordan Pena yeah. is just... He's slimy here. And, like... Um, and what sucks is that what if Julio... Like, he did have a weird enough experience that his brother decided to bring it up at this yeah. UFO conference thing. And, yeah. and he did confide in his brother, this experience that he had, he might've had a genuine paranormal weird experience, except now we'll never know about it because he's been clouded and yeah. distorted. You exactly. Know? Like we, that's, that's the thing is like uh, the one thing that's kind of just, it has me in this like weird space is that I don't know if Julio F is a paid kind of, um, you know, deceptor in this case, or if he right. was, just we used. don't know. We, yeah. we just don't know. But, um, cause like anything in, in these documents, like in the, in Ribera's article could be a lie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in 2013, David Cuevas, who ran a radio program called uh, Dimension Limite, uh, accompanied by uh, umologist Jose Juan yeah. Montejo, uh, went to the home of Jordan Pena to ask him about his involvement in the case of Julio F. He claimed that the young man was a fanaticist who tried to fool him. Quote, with Julio, we simulated a hypnosis session. I trained him to fake... A hypnosis. I remember that uh, that what impressed me the most is that I saw that the stars did not shiver and like, uh, you know, he keeps going into it. So Jordan mm-hmm. Pena basically admitted he basically claimed that Julio uh, was on board and, and, and stuff like that. And again, like I 
by his own admission, I don't think that it's because he's basically now saying, no, he tricked, he tried to trick me. And like, no, dude, you, that doesn't make any sense for a guy who's not interested in UFOs to all of a sudden be getting roped into this thing. And and again, like, I like uh, to believe that Julio like didn't know. And that's kind of mm -hmm. my intrinsic sense is that Julio didn't. Hi, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty cat. Uh, I like to think that he, he, really didn't know about yeah, this right um so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end on a kind of some fire quotes here that i was able to oh yes um uh so in the end manuel Carbial uh said this of jordan pena quote few characters have existed in the history of mystery in spain as terrible sinister and pernicious as jose luis jordan pena wow yeah with a lack of scruples compassion and sensitivity bordering on psychopathy jordan pena created in the mid-1960s the most important ufological fraud in history Hmm. For years, he profited from the ma- from that masquerade, which probably started as a joke. Um, as he and he watched from his vantage point, as people from all over the world, some personal friends, swallowed all of his lies and came to condition their lives based on the Umite letters that Jose Luis Jordan Pena wrote in the privacy of his home. With infamous cruelty, he promoted over and over again that illusion, those hopes, and that sincere and honest belief in the extraterrestrial presence of thousands of passionate about UFOs in all corners of the world. Many of them spent real fortunes, half of their lives, following the tracks of UMO in Spain, France, Italy. How to quantify the moral, economic, and psychological damage inflicted on them? From the beginning, Jose Luis Jordan Pena made a name and a place for himself in the parapsychological community of Madrid in the 1960s and 1970s. Vice president of the Spanish Society of Parapsychology, it is easy to follow his trail in the newspaper archives. You just have to take a look at the magazine Karma 7, Psy Communication, Algo, etc. of the time to find it, omnipresent in the main ufological and paranormal cases of the time. He now confesses his involvement in the Julio F. case, one of the most important classics of Spanish ufology, manipulating the fraud for his own benefit once again. But he would bet his life that he is not the only one. How many UFO sightings, poltergeists, paranormal investigations, etc., of the 70s or 80s were intoxicated, if not totally fabricated, by this Dr. Mengele species of anomalies? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Literally, though, because if Pena, if his real purpose was, oh, I want to see if I can get people to believe in something that's not true, it's like, okay, you did. Why didn't you give up after the first year? Yeah. Like, you proved your point. You kept it going for decades. That means that you had other purposes because you you could have proved your point like way yeah. sooner, but he kept it going. Yeah, um, he goes on. Um, and how many of his contemporaries sinned by complicity or omission of their duty to contrast the information supporting the leading role of Jordan Pena in their magazines, books or radio and or television programs? 
Should we quarantine an entire era of paranormal research for fear that Jordan Pena's cancer had also poisoned other cases? No, I can't think of a way to quantify the profound irreparable damage that his sinister character has done to the investigation of anomalous phenomena in Spain. And every time I read your articles in the official magazine of ARP, the first relevant publication of the organized skeptic movement, MEO, I cannot avoid suspecting unhealthy alliances between the greater deceiver and the pseudo-skeptics, the main beneficiaries of each and every one of those frauds. Having verified the unique and almost pathological personality of Jordan Pena and his desire to manipulate and deceive the staff, it is not insignificant to think that when the opportunity arose to invent an alien abduction case, he would organize the entire matter weeks before revealing among his colleagues the case of Julio F. in plot with both brothers. His direct intervention in the investigation directing the first regressions would give him the opportunity to prepare and memorize a script with the witness where the questions and answers would be more than rehearsed, making sure that a good interpretation of Julio F, uh, accompanied by gestures and emotions, would provoke the astonishment and credulity of the members of the study commission. The well-accredited scientific knowledge of Jordan Pena, together with their undeniable and powerful imagination, they added the other details of the meeting. For example, the details of the stars, which do not blink, observed from space, and which the parapsychologist still remembered during his recent interview with David Cuevas, as well as the name of the liquid extracted from the witness's back, which uh, would delight the audience that they would never imagine that Julio F. could deceive them with those data. Uh, we're left to wonder whether Julio F. had a genuine experience at all or whether Jose Luis Jordan Pena saw a piece of clay that he could mold into his witness of choice. We'll never know the true nature of Julio's sighting, if there is a legitimate sighting behind it, and what it would, it would have looked like to us had a different investigator had taken the case. At the end of it all, it's Jose Luis Jordan Pena's world, and we're just living in it. End quote. Mic drop. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said. Couldn't say it better myself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, got to gotta hydrate after talking that long. <laughs> gotta, gotta take, gotta. take in some of that water. Uh, yeah. So, you know, ultimately, and, and like, we didn't get into the, the nitty gritty of Umo and there was no way that we were going to get into the nitty gritty of Umo because it's no stay tuned for that. Come, come yeah. over to my, to my bazaar and we'll yeah. tell you about it there. The sequel is coming to the nonsense bazaar. Yes. Y'all will be taken care of that. They will get into the nitty gritty of what Umo is and, and how deep this conspiracy runs. For and, sure how intricate it just absolutely is like this topic took me for a loop mm -hmm. yeah i uh and and again it's uh shout out again to jose antonio caravaca for providing that article because had he not 
it uh, this would have been a totally different episode. We would have just been talking about an abduction case that had yeah, one we would have just been talking about Megamind the whole time. Exactly, we we would have been talking about Megamind, and uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen that. I really got to go watch that. But me too. Uh, I kind of want to watch it after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's what the case of Julio F uh, does. It uh, the Soria abduction. Yes, the Soria abduction, and you know all of its characteristics and ambiguities, and the fact that. We do. We will never know what Julio F experienced, if he experienced anything. But uh, you have all now experienced this podcast uh, going through the motions of uh, Jordan Pena's pains and his pains. His pains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's gonna do it for this episode. God damn, um, this was uh, this was a wild one. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on this episode, and thank you so much down. for having me. <laughs> this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, where can people find the Nonsense Bazaar, and how can they keep up with uh, you know what you got going on on the internet we're, and such? We're at Nonsense Bazaar on Instagram, Twitter. We also have our own profiles. I'm Willow Truman, like. The tree and the president and my co-host is sequoia kennedy like the tree and the president so you can <laughs> you can find us there yes uh and and y'all should listen to the nonsense bazaar it's absolutely fantastic it makes my wednesdays better you know it makes it more you. tolerable at work that's our uh, goal wednesday yeah. is a is a kind of sucky day it know? is it is it's just gotta make it better somehow you're smack dab in the middle of everything and you just kind of want it the, the week to be over, but uh, you know, it's, it's a get shining hit with light. a dose of weirdness right in the get, middle. You get smacked in the face with that weirdness and it's, it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Uh, as for the, our strange guys podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. And if you'd like to help us out, you know, leave us ratings and reviews, like just do it. It's a nice thing to do. We like it. Um, you know, tell your friends about all our cool pods and stuff, you know, like, like we, we like it when you're, when we're the hot goss that you're talking about. So, uh, sure do. Do it. yeah, absolutely love it. Um, uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, patreon.com slash your UFO guy. And at a hundred patrons, you're going to do something cool. I'm yeah, I, I have uh, proclaimed that, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're involved in all this. So, um, um, if we reach a hundred patrons by the end of the year, I, I will get a tattoo of the Pascagoula alien as a pinup girl. So, yep. so um, do it. I'm one. Yeah. You should be two. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, join that Patreon. We'll, we'll make this happen. Uh, you know, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter at our strange skies, special thanks to floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Special thanks to Spencer birth Davis for editing our episodes to Megan Lagerberg for our dope ass logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs. 
Uh, and you can find linked uh, uh, all our social media profiles, Patreon, uh, our T Public store, which has a Gondola Man shirt. Now you go get yourself a Gondola Man shirt. Uh, it's all in the uh, link tree in the uh, in the uh, show notes. Uh, and finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or at a random diner that isn't supposed to open that early. In gray, we trust. Yeah.